Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to extend to you a, a warm welcome and tell you thanks for choosing to spend your morning with us. You need to know that you've walked into a real church this morning. You're thinking, okay, I'll bite. What's a real church? A real church, of course, the church is made up of people. So if it's a real church, it's made up of real people, including their pastor, who is extremely flawed. There were supposed to be three baptisms this morning. Did you pick up on that when Kyle said there's going to be three baptisms? If you know me really well, you know that under extreme duress, I tend to get a little rattle-brained, and that happened this morning. Very dear friends of mine, Brenda and Ernie Goble, go to this church. Ernie's, I've known Ernie since he was, I call him a little shaver. He really wasn't a little shaver at 18, but, but um, he was in my first youth group. And uh, our paths have crossed, and they go to church here now. We play ball together. It's just, it's wonderful. I was supposed to baptize him about 10 minutes ago and completely spaced him. So I've made my apologies while you guys were singing, and, and uh, we're going to do that in the second service. Trust me, I'll show you a video next week and prove it that we actually did it. So, you know, that's just, you ever done something and thought, man, if people only knew what was going on behind the scenes to see just how with bailing wire and duct tape and a little cardboard we've thrown this together, well, that's kind of how this morning has been. Uh, everything from trying to track down the right video equipment to be able to show you baptisms to um, our bulletins got here late this morning. It's just been a, not a really good morning. So this is a real church where we tell you we don't know what we're doing sometimes. <laughs> And, and the, the preacher is just a train wreck. And so here's what I need you to know, and here's what I need you to do. There are bulletins out there. Now, please don't get up and go get them right this minute, because I don't think my, my poor psyche could handle that right now. But inside the bulletin every week is a white card. And, you know, I know Kyle tells you that it's really helpful when you fill out that white card. It really, really is helpful. Um, Parley works very hard to track who's been here and who hasn't and... and um, one of the ways that we do that is with this little white card. Now, we don't take this and use it, and if you're a visitor, we don't, we don't get on the phone and hound you and call you and say, are you coming back? We don't do that to you. Um, it just lets us know that you were here, and it, it really helps Parley because here's what happens on Tuesday morning in staff meeting. She comes into my office, she sits down on the couch across from me, and she has a list of people that she isn't sure whether they were here or not because they didn't fill out the white card, and it's up to me to remember that I saw you. Okay, so after the morning we've had, you know what my response is going to be when she says, was so-and-so here? And I'm going to go, uh. So what I need you to do, find a bulletin before you leave and just fill out the little white card and leave it um, at the Welcome Center and, and we'll collect those. That would be just a huge help to us this morning and thank you for your patience and grace as we move on through this, this morning. Um, it's going to get better because it can't really get much worse. So turn in your Bibles to Philippians. We start a new series this morning, and, and it's, uh, I'm kind of excited about this little series. We wanted to do one called Margins, and we will do that. But in, in talking about it, Kyle and I really decided that margins needs to be preached. Margins probably, in my life personally, has been the most uh, significant sermon series that I have preached since I started preaching for me personally, for me and my wife, for our finances, for our, um, our, our time management, all those kind of things. When I preach that series, because you, know, I, you need to know, and, and this morning is a perfect example of, of God working on me 
um, in some areas that we're going to talk about this morning in this whole aspect of, of uh, what we're going to talk about today. But when I preached that margin series, we did it, I don't know, four years ago. And we've added a lot of people since then. There are a lot of people who, when I say margins, they don't know what I'm talking about. And we just decided the best thing for us to do is to re-preach that series. Um, and I, we, don't, we want as many people here for that as we can. And we know that after Mother's Day, attendance kind of dives a little bit. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. You guys kind of disappear a little bit. So we don't want to, um, we, we want to maximize the, 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 the margin series. And we want as many people here for that as we can. So I think we're going to wait until the fall and we'll preach that series in the fall. In the meantime, we're going to preach this neat little thing out of, uh, uh, probably based mostly out of Philippians. Uh, and you'll see what that's about here in just a little bit. I want to do something with you first. And, and when you pick up on what I'm doing, you just join in, okay? Now, I don't do this very often, so this is a treat. And I should tell them to turn off the recorder right now, but I won't do that, okay? Just just uh, join with me. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Sing. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Okay, we all grew up singing that song. The problem is that we spend most of our time in life trying to get happy. Trying to make ourselves happy. If I could just be happy. If I could just get to a place where I'm I'm happy. You know, the, the problem is happiness does not last long. Happiness is not foundational. It, it, it's like chasing the wind. You, you know, you, you could run forever and not ever harness, really catch the wind the way you, you just try and grab at it with your, with your hands. Um, you know, someone might walk up to you and say, are you happily married? You know the answer to that, really? Am I happily married? No. Am I happily employed? No. There are points of happiness. There are points of great happiness. There are days, extended days of happiness. Lots of time in the marriage, I'm happy. Lots of times doing my job, I'm happy. I mean, you talk to me, you'll know about both of those things. I'm pretty happy. But am I, can I say that I'm happily married, I'm happily employed? No, not always, because there are points there are times, and, and you know as well as I do if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Not every day is your wedding day, not every day. In fact, I spend a little time whenever I put people together kind of talking about, you know, not every day is going to be as blissful as this one. And so, you know, there are moments of happiness, but are you happily married 24-7? I don't think so. You talk to people and you'll hear them say things like, well, God just wants me to be happy. You know what? Can I challenge you? Find that in Scripture for me, please. Because I missed that memo. I didn't get that. I did not understand. I, I missed it when, when God said, I want everybody to be happy. It's not in there. God doesn't want you happy. I mean, he does, I think. But that's not his primary objective. I, I don't think God, God doesn't sleep, so God doesn't wake up and say, you know, I want this, but... I think if you were to ask God, do you want us happy? He'd say, well, yeah, that, I would like to see you happy, but that's way down on the list for me. There are other things that come before that. What God wants out of you and what God wants out of me, and this is a whole lot harder for us, is obedience. He wants us obedient. And you say, okay, I'm, <laughs> it's time for the sermon to be over. I don't want to hear this sermon. 
Well, just stick with me because I think you'll see at the end that it, it really does make sense. You know, a lot of people buy the lie that God wants me to be happy. And so because God wants me to be happy, I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, you know, I really don't want anybody else to tell me. I'm gonna, I'll go against God if, if you know, if, if it'll make me happy. I'll go against the grain a little bit. And when we are confronted with the truth that, you know, hey, what you're doing is probably out of bounds or what you're doing is, is unhealthy or what you're doing is not spiritually healthy, a lot of times what you will get back from somebody when you say that is, well, you don't understand. God just wants me to be happy. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And so we've bought into this idea that the ultimate pursuit is our happiness, that God just really wants me to be happy. Let me lay something out for you. When you look around life, especially in the church, when you look around and you see people who seem to be hitting on all cylinders where Jesus is concerned, and you see these people who who have their life put together and it's all going good for them and they seem to really just really be clicking. First of all, don't buy that, <laughs> okay? Because we all got trouble. And we can make you think that it's all together, but underneath it all, again, this is a real church with real people and real problems. So the first thing I would tell you is don't ever believe what you, what the package that you see because we are all struggling sinners, aren't we? But if you ever do see somebody who seems to have something that you don't, that, that genuinely seems to have a presence or a, a, a peace or a, a, there's this, this thing that you say, you know, I just don't, I don't have that. Can I just offer up to you that probably the difference is not in your happiness. The problem is probably in the difference between your level of obedience. I've told you this story before. There's a good friend of mine in Mitchell, Indiana that was serving a church, and he ran across this family that had these unbelievable girls, this, this youth group full of about three girls. And, and Michael would call me and say, man, you just won't believe the prayer this one prayed, or you won't believe what this one did when we were out doing this service project or whatever. And, and these girls were just like stellar. And he went to the dad one day, and he said, you know, I've got to ask you, you've done such a good job with these girls. How did you do it? I'm a parent. I want my kids to turn out like your kids have. How did you do it? And, and he, Michael said the only, he gave me a one-word answer. He looked back at me and said, obedience. And what he meant by that was he expects it from his girls, but he expects it from himself, and God expects it from him. Kids who obey their parents are going to receive blessing. Isn't that true? I mean, as a parent, wouldn't you say, if my kids would obey me, they would open themselves up for blessing. It, it amazes me how kids can't see that. Kids can't see that when they are obedient, they, they, things run smoother in the house. When they do what they know they're supposed to do, things will, you'll get along a whole lot better. Mom and dad will be a whole lot easier. Kids, if you're in the room and you're listening, I'm just telling you, I'm going to make life easy. This is, this is 101, being a kid, 101. This is how easy it is. You want mom and dad to bless you? Be obedient. Don't, don't mouth off when they say do something. Don't ask why. Andy Stanley talks about how when he uh, teaches his kids to do something, um, what the answer, when, he, when he asks the kids to do something, the answer he expects back is, yes, sir, daddy, why? You can ask why, but not before you tell me that you're going to do it. See, parents want to know 
that you're going to be obedient. And when you're obedient, the whole world opens up for you. You become a blessable child. But the moment you decide to withhold your obedience and decide that you know best, that you know what's right, and you know how to do it, then all of a sudden, if, if things aren't going great with you and mom and dad, probably a big part of the reason why is because you've gotten to a place where you think you know more than they do. You, 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 I was talking to my dad yesterday, and, and we were talking about teenagers, and, and uh, you know, we were just talking about how teenagers sometimes are deluded into thinking that they know everything. And I was kind of lamenting that whole fact, and, and dad said, well, Brett, he said, you know, <laughs> I would remind you <laughs> of how you were when you were 16. And, and they all go through that, and that's true. But if you're a kid that's not obeying, I can tell you what's happening in your house pretty quickly. There are very few spurts of joy. There are very few spurts of happiness. Very few spurts of, man, life is good for me. If you're not obedient, chances are good that life at your house is full of turmoil. And the moment you figure out that if I will just be obedient and have an obedient attitude, you would be amazed how mom and dad could lighten up, could trust you a little bit, could, could know that when, when you say something, they can believe it because you've proved to them that you're going to be obedient. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to help you out a little bit, guys, so um, just take that for what it's worth. You know, faith is an awful lot like a swimming pool. A swimming pool has a deep end and a shallow end. And uh, this series is really about going to the deep end of the swimming pool. But the problem is churches are full of people, and we all kind of fall into this trap, I fall into this trap of thinking to myself and getting myself convinced that really, it's really about my happiness. I, I, I get my eyes fixed on what will make me happy, and many times at the expense of the deeper things. And this series is about going deep. We're going to talk about having something that's so much more profound than happiness. You, know, you, ch- you can chase and chase after happiness. I mean, you listen to the athletes, you watch them, you, you, you watch entertainers, and how many cars do you need before you're happy? How big does your house have to be? You know, what, what Spanish villa do you have to live in? What, what you know, $50,000 a night vacation do you need to take <clears throat> before you get happy? Michael Jordan <clears throat> made the comment one time, he said, you know, I finally got to a place where I realized that all this money and all this stuff I was buying with the money that I had, it, it wasn't making me happy. The people who have the guts to go deep and experience something deeper than happiness, those people, what they experience is joy. Huge difference between uh, happiness Enjoy. I'm joyfully married, I can tell you that. I'm, I'm joyfully employed. Happily married? Sometimes. Happily employed? Sometimes. Joy is deeper, it's more profound. Many of us are on the shallow end, and, and you know, it's kind of like we've got our floaties on. You know, you put the floaties on the kids when you get them in the shallow end, and, and, and they. I, do you remember what it was like when, before you could actually go to the deep end? You remember being in the shallow end and looking down maybe at the bigger kids and watching the ones going up the high dive and thinking, man, how in the world does that work? And, and I can't imagine jumping off into that deep water. And I remember the first time I ever ventured into deep water, I, I was clinging to the side of the pool just hoping nobody would knock me off, you know, as this little old guy. And, and I, I wanted to feel big, but I knew that I really wasn't quite there yet. 
I think that describes a lot of us, spiritually speaking. We, we're in the shallow end. We look down. We can, see, we can see what deep faith looks like. And we can even long for deep faith and say, man, God, I wish, I wish I could have that. I wish I could be that. I wish I could, I could experience something deeper than, than what I'm getting right now. And, you know, you, you talk to people every now and then that come to church and they'll say things like, well, you know, I just didn't get anything out of that. Or, or I just, you know, I just, I'm bored with this whole thing. And, I can tell you this, the deeper you go, the less bored you will be. And the less you, let, the, the less you chase after happiness and the more you chase after joy, joy, by the way, is not hard to catch. The more you chase after that, the deeper your faith will be, the more rewarding your faith will be, the more uh, significant a, a worship service will be for you, the more significant will be your prayer life, the time you spend in the word. Everything you do will take on a deeper, better significance. But the problem is we've got to get ourselves out of the shallow end and we've got to get those floaties off our arms and get out of a mentality that, well, you know, this is all there is. And if, if I can't be happy, then I'm just not happy. You go tell somebody that you're not happy and what you're likely to hear is something along the lines of, well, you just, you know, you need to go on a vacation. You just need to, you just need to, you just need a new car. Or somebody would say, well, girl, you, if you're not happy, just go shopping. I mean, that'll fix it. Let's see what the smart people say. There are some pretty smart people who have lived and, and worked and studied. One of them is a guy named William Glasser. He's a 20th century psychologist, and that's all I'm going to tell you because we have a resident psychologist in our church, and I don't want to get myself in trouble or say anything wrong. Am I good so far, Dr. Eglin? Okay. <clears throat> I have a quote here. I'm pretty sure he said this. The greatest need in mankind is to love and be loved. Viktor Frankl, Frankl maybe might be the better pronunciation, said it's more than love. He said it's about promise or a purpose and a plan. He said really life is about a purpose and a plan. If someone has a purpose and a plan, they will experience happiness. Bruno Badelheim uh, survived a Nazi concentration camp, and at the end of that experience, what he came away with was man needs hope. Now, he said if they, if they lose hope, they're going to lose their desire to live. And I think that all three of these guys are right. Without question, all three of them are on to something. It is about love. It is about purpose. It is about hope. It's about all those things. Life is about all those things. But Glasser, Franklin, and Betelheim have not gone deep. They, they've not gone as deep as they could go and should go to really find an anchor in life and to really find a place in life where when you walk away from tragic circumstances, you've got something to tie to. When you, when you go through incredibly high highs, you've got something to tie to. Um, Clayton Bell wrote a book called Moorings in a World of Drift. It was a great little book. We used it in rock group. And that idea of being able to anchor to something strong and solid, you've got to have that in life. And what we're talking about this morning, they didn't really stumble on in, in their whole discussion about what people really need in life. What people really need in life, what you and I want, what we see in other people and think, man, I wish I had that. It's joy. It's joy. It's not happiness. They haven't talked about life in the excess. 
that joy brings. They haven't talked about tranquility of the soul. They haven't talked about going through something very significantly painful that that brings out of you deep weeping and and mourning and, and hurt and still someplace in your soul being able to find joy. See, when you're hurt and when you're going through hard times and you're going through difficult circumstances, and I know because I went through people, went, with, went through that with people this week, you tie to joy. This isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to say this real quick. If my mother passed away this morning, I would not be very happy, but I would be very joyful. Does that make sense? You can chase after joy all day long, and you may or may not get it. But you can always have joy because joy is at the deep end of the swimming pool. And joy says, hey, just come on in. The water's fine. I'm here to be enjoyed. I'm here to, I'm here to, to bathe you and to surround you, and I want to be all over your life. Philippians is a book about outrageous, contagious joy. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians, the, the first chapter. Paul wrote the book of Philippians. I don't know what you know about Paul. And I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. I mean, I know that, that um, you come to church each Sunday and different ones of you have different things on your plate that I or no, uh, none of us know about. And they're deep things. Some of them are scary things. And, you're, you know, you, I know what it is to have things going on. And you come to church, you put on the face, right? Have you ever done that? You've done that. Nod your head. This is a real church, okay? You've done that. Yeah, I'm going to put the face on and I'm going to go and I'm going to act like everything's okay, but everything's not okay in my world. And, and, and life is kind of, I want to use words that I probably shouldn't use from up here. It's not very good. It's not very nice. We have those times. We have lives. You know, some of us have lives that are full of stuff. And you do your best every day, wake up, put on the face, and you go through life and you hope nobody knows and you try and act happy. But inside, you're neither happy or joyful. I don't know what you got going on in your world. I can tell you what happened to Paul. Paul was shipwrecked. He was stranded. He was stoned in the biblical sense. He was beaten and left for dead. He was starved. He was imprisoned. He he had been cold. He'd been naked. And not just, you know, once, each of these things just once. I mean, you get the idea as you read Paul that, that it was a pretty common thing for him to not have a whole lot. It was a pretty common thing for him for people not to like him and to mistreat him. It was a pretty common thing for him to be persecuted in one way or the other. And as he writes this book that we call Philippians, he wrote it to the church at Philippi, he is chained to a Roman soldier as he writes these words. And so you've got to know that when you start reading Scripture. You've got to know the circumstances around the guy maybe writing it. And in, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is going to tell us that joy is a process, not a destination. You don't just arrive one day at joy. Joy is a process. Joy is, is learning how to be obedient. And in the process of that, you get back this feedback of joy and this, this, you know, this, this fulfilling, it's an indescribable fullness that you feel when you know that you have heard the voice of God and you have done your best to be obedient to what that voice says. Now, that's an elusive thing. 
Because happiness is calling at us all the time. And we are told by the world that if you do that, if you do that thing that God's telling you to do, you will not be happy. And yet, this planet is littered with people who have ignored the call of God. They have gone in pursuit of happiness, and they have neither happiness nor joy. So it is with that in mind that we read Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Keep in mind, this guy is chained to a Roman guard. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He says, I've made that choice. I've made the choice that I will pray for you with joy. I'm chained up. I don't even have the freedom to go out of my house right now and do what I want to do. It doesn't matter. I choose joy, and I choose to pray for you with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that, we, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, the key word that we just read in that particular passage is the word completion. Been to several um, conferences, youth conferences. I've been to CIY with kids. I've been to National Youth Workers Convention where you see just unbelievable things that people do in terms of worship experiences. And um, we go to Leadership Summit. We see just amazing things that talented people are able to do. I see sermons. I watch videos of sermons all the time and listen to sermons. And I've heard and seen just incredible things. But one of the things that I've seen in my life that, that just left me speechless, and one of these days I hope to have it done on this stage, is there's a, and there's not more than one, but the one guy that I'm thinking of is a guy called the Jesus Painter. And any of the kids that have traveled with me somewhere, they've seen the Jesus Painter. This guy starts with a, an empty canvas and to music or while somebody's preaching or something, he begins to paint with his hands. And, and the way he does it, uh, he might start up in the corner and work a little bit. He'll wipe his hands off, get more paint, different color, come over and do something over here. And as the music's playing or as the, the, the preacher's preaching or the speaker's doing whatever he's doing, this guy just is working this picture. And you watch it for the longest time and you think to yourself, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I can't make out what that is. I mean, he's just got a great big old blob right there. Big old blob of black paint. means nothing. But the preacher keeps preaching or the speaker keeps speaking and the Jesus painter keeps doing his thing. And you give him time and eventually all those colors begin to come together and you start to make out the perspective that he's got on whatever it is that he's working on. And when he gets finished, it is breathtaking. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness. That's beautiful. The Bible calls me and you works of art. We are made in the image of God. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship. We are one of a kind. We are unique. We are a canvas. And often the colors that God is using and the medium that he's working in and, and you know, all that kind of stuff, we don't get it. We don't understand. It doesn't make sense to us. You know, we would stand off. Uh, we would say, God, the color scheme's not right in my life. The, 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 the scope or the scale of this 
picture that you're painting in my life doesn't match with the vision that I had in my mind of what my life was supposed to look like. And God, what are you doing as you, as you paint out my life? It doesn't look right to me. You'd say, God, why are you doing that? It doesn't make any sense. It's not the way I would have done it. God is going to complete the work that he started in you and me. He's going to work it out. He's going to work out what he has worked in to us. All the experiences you have, the people that you grew up with, your parents, your siblings, your co-workers, the people you go to church with, your kids, all that stuff, God takes all that stuff and he works into you and he works into me. And he is the master painter and he's, he's doing things on our, the canvas of our life that we, we just, when we look at it, it just, it's like, what? what? What is that? I don't know what that is. It doesn't make any sense. That, that yellow does not make sense next to that black line right there. That doesn't mean anything to me. And God would say to us the exact same thing that the Jesus painter would say if he were to look over his shoulder and, and see us going, I don't get it, I don't understand. He would say, just be patient. Just wait. Let it come to completion. Let it work itself out. Let these colors come together in such a way. Let the master do his thing. And at the end of this, it's going to take your breath away. We have to get to the place where we are willing to say, God, I want what you want. See, joy is confidence. It's confidence to know that whatever the circumstances, whatever it is we're dealing with, whatever it is that we're going through, God in some way is going to take those things and those are going to be usable things. I can tell you right now that the things that I use the most in counseling with, with people, the, the stuff that really, when I'm able to really have any impact from a counseling perspective with anybody, it is generally from my own personal experience, difficult hard where it, it did not come easy for me and I wouldn't want to go through some of that stuff again to save me but on the back end whenever I walk out of a counseling thing and I think to myself you know what God I wouldn't want to go through that again to save me but if it gives me empathy and if it is in some way going to enable me to help someone else see what you're doing and a lot of times I tell people when they're going through stuff you know what one of these days what God's going to do with what you're going through right now is he's going to make a great counselor out of you you will use this in ministry somewhere down the line. I've watched people go through bad marriages. I've watched people go through adultery. I've watched people go through just horrible sin, addictions. I've watched people struggle with their faith. I've seen all kinds of things. And at the end of it, you know, it's, and it's painful and it's messy and it's yucky. Again, this is a real church. But when we send them out the door, one of the last things I say often is, you're going to use this at some point in ministry for somebody else. Take good notes. By his love and grace, God is going to work out what he has worked in. And that gives me confidence. That gives me joy. Joy is whatever the circumstances, whatever they are, it does not affect my joy. You see, I think I skipped an illustration. I sure did. The word happiness we get that word from the, from the Latin word hap, which is all about luck and circumstance. 
It's the, it's the idea that if you can get things going on a roll, that things are going to be good for you. That's where the word happiness comes from. That if it all lines up and if it all goes perfect, then, then you've got a good thing going. Problem is, you know as well as I do, life doesn't line up that way. Life does not put itself end to end and all the pieces fit together nicely so that you have one nice track, no lines, no breaks. Life just doesn't happen like that. We have to every day wake up and say, God, I want you to be a part of this day. I want you to work out the things that you want worked out of me. And I want to trust you to be the Jesus painter in my life. And I want to trust you to finish, to bring to completion the work that you started in me. And I realize, God, that that's a process, that's a lifelong thing. Part of our problem is we're used to watch television. We're used to, you know, major plot lines being resolved in less than an hour you know you start off with a murder and we don't know who did it and we got this guy doing this crazy thing and this guy doing this crazy thing but at the end of the hour we're going to have it all sewed up into a nice package and we think life is all about that maybe you're here and you're far from god and and you don't believe in him and you've got doubts about the bible and and doubts about jesus i would just say to you that's okay (laughs) that's okay just keep coming Because the fact that you're here, this is what I know about you if you're here. You may not even be ready to admit this, but I know this about you. Somewhere in the recesses of your mind and your spirit, you want God's paint on you. You want God to do something with you and in you. You want to believe there's a God and you want to believe that he, you matter enough to him, that he cares enough, that he would work in your life. The, the problem for most of us comes in this trust side of things where we say, you know what, I just don't know if I'm ready to go through that kind of pain so that I can become the kind of person that God wants me to be. Jesus wants to come into you and cleanse you. He wants to come into you and cleanse you. And when you are cleansed by Christ, then there is a, you are just a white canvas. Isn't that the greatest thing to just know? It's what grace is to me, a white canvas. Clean slate. And you will never know joy until you allow God to paint on your life and on the canvas of your life and just say, God, I, I'm not really sure what that black line's all about right there. It's not making a whole lot of sense to me right now, but I, I'm confident in you. I'm, I, my joy says that, that you will take what's there and you will use it in a great way. So it's all about completion. Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one, do you know? Joy. Joy. What did I say a few minutes ago? I said Jesus comes into your life. I want to focus just a minute on Jesus penetrating your life. Getting into the heart of where you are and where you live. What's the first thing Christ does when he comes into your life? A lot of people would say, well, he comes in, he cleanses me, and he forgives me. And, and you know, it's like a white canvas. Well, I know all that. I mean, we, we know that. That's kind of fundamental. What's the first thing he does? The first thing he does is he comes in and he begins to redecorate. He begins to, to, to begin to try to show you the differences between happiness and joy. And hopefully in that process, we hear God's voice and we know I can chase after that and that may even make me happy for a time, but I don't know that that's going to really bring me joy uh, long term. 
But when he gets done, if he's successful, if you allow him to be successful, what happens is you have this outrageous, contagious joy. You become the kind of person at the deep end of the pool with no floaties on and everybody looks at you and says, man, I want what they've got. You know what goes on with people who are at the deep end of the pool and and everybody else is saying, I want what they've got? You know what goes on with them? People want to be around them. Those are rock-solid people. Those are people that have their act together as well as someone can in this world. They are attractive people because they've got something that is elusive to an awful lot of people. A lot of people really want joy, but they're chasing after happiness and they don't know the difference. The Holy Spirit wants to produce joy. There is a counter agent at work in my life and at work in your life as well. That counter agent, although you want joy, the counter agent comes along and says, no, we're going to be about pride. We're going to be about getting what I want. We're going to be about envy. We're going to be about jealousy. But the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to produce fruit. You know, when the Holy Spirit produces fruit, I think that part of the problem is we have mistaken what the fruit is for. We think that when the Holy Spirit produces fruit, the fruit is for us. How would you feel if I walked up to you and said, I got a gift for you, and I handed you an empty banana peel? I said, I hope you enjoy that. You'd say, you know, I'm, I'm not here to take the garbage out for you. You know, I mean, you want to hand me a banana, that's great. I'd be happy to have one, but I don't want your banana peel. See, but that's what we do sometimes with, with the fruit of the Spirit. We think that the fruit is all about what it can do for us. Here's, the, here's a, a, a key thing about living the life of Christ that, that maybe you've never thought about this before. Joy comes when the fruit that is produced by the Spirit is given away. The fruit that is produced by the Spirit is intended to be given away. But what we do oftentimes is we we use the fruit and then we want to give away the peel. And everybody's going, well, that doesn't really do a whole lot for me. The world says if I pursue happiness, I'll get it. No, if you pursue happiness, you'll eventually end up at some point with the opposite of that which you pursue because happiness is not a lasting thing. And if you make your whole life and your whole world about trying to be happy, then you are going to be an unhappy person because it's just fleeting. You can't catch it. You can't latch on to it. So joy is a process. It's not a destination. second thing I'd tell you, and then we'll close, joy is relational. It's not circumstantial. John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Think about that picture again. God is completing the picture in you. He is an artist. James 1, 2 and 3, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Isn't it true that there are people that think that they can get to a place, if I can just get there, I'll be happy. You ever done that with yourself? If I can just get in that house, I'll be happy. If I can just get that car, it'll make me happy. Here's what I know. I know that I don't care if you have your dream job and your dream girl and your dream vacation and all your dream stuff, you will have problems in the world. I don't care if you're far away from God or if you're Billy Graham on steroids. You are going to have problems in your world. The problem with life is the problems. 
but sometimes people say, no, I'm going to get to a place where I don't have any problems. No, you're not. You can't evade those. Scripture teaches us how to deal with problems and how to do it with outrageous and contagious joy. Philippians 1, verse 12, listen to this. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul goes through all this stuff in life, and we would look at Paul's life and we'd say, I don't want any part of that. The picture behind that word is that of a, a, a group of men that go out before the guys that are going to do the fighting, and they, they cut down all the brush, all the underbrush. They clear it out so that the army can advance, so that the army can move on out. That says a whole lot to me because when I have problems and difficulties and I feel like I've been shipwrecked and I've been beaten and starved and snake bit and everything else, when I feel like that, what should I do? I should remember that what God is doing is he is preparing in advance good works. He's using my life to do it. And that gives me confidence and power and perspective and it gives me outrageous contagious joy God just wants me to be happy no he doesn't God wants us to go deeper he wants us to take off the floaties he wants us to move to the deep end of the pool he wants you to have outrageous contagious joy in your marriage he wants you to have outrageous contagious joy with your kids with your job, with your spiritual life. God wants you to live a life of joy. God wants you to live a life of excess in him. That only comes ultimately when you receive grace, and it comes ultimately when you give your heart and your soul and your life to the only one who deserves it, and that's Jesus who hung on a cross and died for you and me. And at that point, when the Holy Spirit invades your life, and that's what happens, you begin this process of giving up on chasing after happiness because you realize, I can't get there, can't do that. I can hold it for a minute, but it's, it's like trying to hold water in your fist. You just can't. But joy, joy sticks. Joy doesn't fade and it doesn't run. And no matter what you go through, you may or may not have happiness, but you will have joy. That's what we offer you when we offer you the chance to come to Christ, give your life to him, live your life uh, fully for his glory. Let's pray together. You'll have an opportunity when we stand and sing in just a minute to, to give your heart to Christ if you so cho choose to do that. Lord, we, we are bombarded with the message that happiness is what it's about. We, we are challenged every day to overlook that message and to get to something deeper. And we say little words like joy. It's just a little three-letter word, but we, we, don't, we don't use that word much, and we, I question, really, if we even know what it means. I pray, Lord, that you would show us what it means, that you'd help us to see that joy comes when we are obedient to you. Joy comes when we do what you tell us to do, and we trust you to know that the picture you're painting in our life is going to be worked to completion, and when it's done, will be beautiful useful that you are preparing us in advance for the good things that you want to do in us and through us so father we can talk about looking spiritual all day long being spiritual is a whole nother matter
And one of the elements of actually being spiritual is being obedient and achieving joy. And I pray over the next several weeks you will help us to get to that place. It's in Jesus' name we pray.